We're glad to be back in 1 Timothy today. We're going to finish the first chapter. There's a few verses left in chapter 1, so we'll turn to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, and we'll, we'll pick up with verse 18. And uh, when we pick up with verse 18, Paul begins with the, the phrase, Timothy, my son, uh, sort of like he did at the very beginning of his letter. He returns to that. And uh, as I said before, what a wonderful truth to know that we have a family besides and beyond our biological family. There's a family of God, and uh, certainly within the local church, there is a deep and abiding family relationship, and Paul and Timothy mirror that uh, for us. So let's read chapter 1, verses 18 and following. Uh, These are some interesting verses, and we're going to dive deep into them today. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the good fight, having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Jimenez and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how many times this passage has spoken to me and does yet this morning. And so, Lord, as we preach this text today, I pray that it is your words and your instruction that is made clear to the hearts of these, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I said, Timothy is is a young man, and uh, remember we said he was raised by his mother and his grandmother in the faith. His father's not in the picture. His father was Greek. His mother was Hebrew. Um, No doubt... Uh, knew all about Paul's conversion and Paul's life. And, and uh, remember, we started the whole series on, on the first Timothy with how Paul uh, there in Lystra was, was preaching the gospel and the absolute truth of the gospel. And it was a great offense to many. And they, they stoned him and drug him out of town and left him for dead. And that's, that's the mental picture. That's, that's the vision. That's the, that's the model that young Timothy has. And now Paul, who is Uh, probably twice or three times the age of Timothy, is writing to him, not from a retirement home, (laughs) not from his beautiful house that he in the country that he's been able to go away and spend some time in the later part of his life. Paul is writing to Timothy from a prison cell. Paul realizes he's likely going to lose his life for this faith, and yet there's no sense in anything that Paul writes of his discouragement. Yet he's writing to his young son in the faith that he is placed in a leadership role in this church that has some issues, and this young son in the faith is discouraged and and wants to quit. As we said in the very first chapter, Paul says, I urge you as I did before, remain, stay there, and battle for sound doctrine. And so he continues. And then remember last week, as Paul was talking about the importance of sound doctrine, he got lost in the glory of the gospel Well, he didn't get lost in it. He knew where he was going, but he got caught up in the glory of the gospel, all right? And he wrote that wonderful prayer and that great sort of sermon in the middle of this text where he talks about how the glory of God and and the gospel, and we finished with that last week. Then he begins again with verse 18, coming back to Timothy. My son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies, prophecies previously made about you. 
Why? So that you may recall them. and You may fight the good fight. Why is it that Timothy wants to quit and leave Ephesus? Why is it that you and I at times want to quit trying to follow Christ and, and be obedient? And if we lead somewhere in the church, why, why do sometimes we want to, want to quit the leadership position? Because it's hard. Because, and, and Paul makes it abundantly clear in so many of the epistles that he writes, he uses the language of battle. I mean, he didn't say, Timothy, you know, I have, I've danced the good dance, I've sang the good song, I've, I've walked the good walk, I've written the nice poem. He says, I've fought the good fight. Timothy, I don't think you fully understand. This is a battle that we're in. It is a fight. And I think sometimes as, as Christians, we are so permeated in 21st century America with the prosperity gospel. Even those of us who put walls up around us and say, no, I don't want anything to do with that, it seeps in. And the prosperity gospel, it doesn't talk about the glory of God and our desire for Christ. And it talks about what's, how our desire for comfort our desire for ease, our desire to be removed from pain. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the very root of sin in many ways, is, is one in our own personal pleasure. Our pleasure is not found in the temporary things of this world. Our pleasure is found in God and Him alone. You were created and designed for pleasure, but not primarily for pleasure in the stuff of the world, but for pleasure in God alone. The prosperity gospel says, comes and uses God language, but it basically says, God doesn't want you to be sick. He doesn't want you to be poor. He doesn't want you to be in, in any struggles. He wants you to have all your financial needs met. They want you to ever have a disease. And, 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 and so we begin to think, well, if, if, if I'm struggling, if I'm having a battle, if, if, I'm, if I'm dealing with financial problems, if I'm dealing with physical ailments, if I'm going to doctors, if I have all these treatments, if then something must be wrong in my life. And the reality of it is, this side of heaven, life is a battle. He's saying, Timothy, you got to fight the good fight. Timothy, you gotta, you got to battle. It's like this, Timothy. It's like you're the fullback, all right? <laughs> and and this, this, this game, this is for it all right here. This, this, is, this is the national championship game. This is it. And you're the fullback. And across that line there is a, is a middle linebacker who's going to play in the NFL next year. And he's going to zero in on you on every play. And you're going to have to block him on every play so you can give that quarterback time to do what he does. And you know what's going to happen this whole game, Timothy? He's going to hit you hard every single play. But you're going to stand there and you're going to block him. And your quarterback's going to run. Your quarterback's going to pass. And, and Timothy, I'll let you in on something. You guys win the game. And when this game is over, you're never going to play this game again. So, so relish every hit. Because you're going to win the battle. And that's why we're here. That's what Paul is saying to this young man. Yes, it's a fight. So how do we fight? Well, first of all, let me back up a minute. I got ahead of myself in my sermon. That's all right. You wouldn't know that if I didn't tell you. I just confess to you. Look at what Paul's role is in the life of Timothy here. 
Look, I, I am quickly uh, becoming a geriatric, all right? Uh, I'm headed that direction. My wife and I are just embracing old age. We live out near the legends, way out by the uh, racetrack and stuff out in Cabela's and, and uh, boarding KC. That's where we live. So we don't have any kids at home anymore, so... We can go eat wherever we want to eat when we want to go eat. And so a lot of times we'll head up toward the legends and we'll, well, well, you want to go to the yard house? You want to go to Longhorn Steak? You want to, you want to go to Bob Evans? Neither one of us want to admit it, but we probably would both like to go to Bob Evans. So finally one of us says, Bob Evans is all right. And the other one says, that's where old people go. The other one says, but we're old. So at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we have dinner at Bob Evans. So I'm growing old, and that's all right. But what, why do, why does, what's my purpose? I love, I love this about Paul. I mean, Paul realizes the amazing opportunity he has in Timothy's life. And listen to what Paul's opportunity is not. Okay, zero in and listen to this. Paul does not write to Timothy and say, Timothy, i got to tell you, man, my back is really hurting. I was, I was beaten five times with 39 lashes. Timothy, when they stoned me in Lystra and they, they tore up my face, I still have pain from that. Timothy, you wouldn't believe, you wouldn't believe the conditions I'm in in this prison. You wouldn't believe that, and Timothy, I know at any moment they could come and take me and they could torture me to death. Timothy, he doesn't say any of that, does he? What's he say to Timothy? Hey, Timothy, it's going to be good, man. You're going to win. Remember the ones that prophesied about you. Remember, the, Timothy, there's, there's hope in your future. Timothy, you're going to battle, but you're going to make it because I've been there. That's the role of older Christians in the lives of younger Christians. You may say, you know, I, I can't really teach, I can't really preach, I, I'm not sure what I should do. You know what? If you're an older, mature Christian, you're an older, mature Christian man, and you walk into the sanctuary, and you go sit down by some young teenage boy or some young Christian man, and you just simply say this, brother, I've been a Christian for 60 years, and I want to tell you it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And no matter what you're going to face in this life, Jesus is bigger than that. Or ladies, you come sit down by some lady and you say, you know what, I've been a Christian for 40 years and I know it's hard being a mom, maybe hard being a single mom, hard working a job, but I want you to know if you'll stay faithful to Jesus, he'll never be unfaithful to you. I can give you a testimony of that. How many times do we as older Christians miss the opportunity to bless younger Christians by saying, you know what, it's worth it. And that's what Paul's doing to Timothy. He's not asking Timothy to feel sorry for him and all he's been through and all of his aches and all of his pains and all of his sorrows and all of his troubles. He's, listen, I'm really preaching now. He's not asking for attention for himself based on everything he's done for Jesus. And he's done a lot more in that sense than Timothy has. He's paid a much higher price than Timothy's paid. He's suffered much more than Timothy suffered, but he doesn't play that card. 
He simply wants to encourage Timothy and use his life as a blessing to Timothy. And that's constantly on my mind all the time. Just this weekend, I've received some texts from some young men that I've had the privilege in my life of mentoring and even some that are interns. A couple of them having real struggles in their churches right now. Really tough, really hard. You know? And what an opportunity for me to just simply walk alongside them and say, man, I understand the pain you're going through. I I realize the struggle, but I want you to know I have been there years ago. (laughs) And I want you to know this is not all there is. This is not the only reality there is. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Listen again to what he says. My son in the faith, in other words, I love you and I'm with you. I'm giving you this instruction, keeping with the prophecies previously made about you. Here's what he's saying. This is what I meant when I said you sit down by a young person next to you and you go, I mean, just so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're following Jesus. I want you to know no matter how hard it is, Jesus can, can handle it. As, as Corey Ten Boom used to say, there's no pit so deep that God's not deeper still. I mean, I, I just I want you to know, Paul is saying here, Timothy, I want, this is what he's saying, I want you to get a sense of perspective, Timothy. This moment in time is not all there is. It may feel like it, but it's not all there is. There was prophecy made about you before the world began, Timothy. Before the, before the world was spoken into being, sovereign God knew you would be here. He knew you would be in this church. He placed you here. He has his hand on you. He's not forgive, for, for, forsaken you. He's not forgotten you. He has forgiven you of all of your sin. You are his child. Get a sense of perspective on all of that, Timothy, and how we need that perspective in our life. Because sometimes all we see is the pain that's right before us. All we see is the struggle that's right there. All we, and it's huge. I'm not saying that life is easy. It's overwhelming. Do you remember when Jesus, after, even Sunday after he resurrected on Sunday morning, the disciples were still not sure what all that meant. It's the Sunday night of the resurrection. And, and no one's really clear about Did Jesus physically raise, or was it his spirit, or did they steal his body? And the women said they talked to him, and Peter and John saw the empty tomb and talked to an angel. But but all they know is, listen, all they know is when when the weekend is over, (laughs) they're probably going to round up the rest of the followers of Jesus and crucify them. And so where are they on Sunday night after the resurrection? On Easter Sunday night, where are the followers of Jesus? They are locked behind doors for fear of the authorities. And the gospel writer Matthew says that Jesus appeared to them in the middle of the room. And he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. And then the scripture says this. You ready? the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the risen Lord. The realized presence of the risen Lord always brings joy in the life of a believer because it it makes you realize that he's greater than any adversary, than any problem, than any disease, than any financial issue, than any relationship issue, than any bad job. He's greater than all of that. 
And all of my problems pale in comparison when I look at him and the power of his resurrection and the assurity that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and that he will never leave me or forsake me. How do we get through these difficult days? I met with a pastor this week who just a a year ago this month uh, had a terrible tragedy in their church where they had some teenagers die in a car wreck. And he still... This is a very difficult week for him and for the whole church. It's a really small church. And I, I related to him that a number of years ago, we, we planted a Haitian church at, at Warnell Road, and a couple of the wonderful young teenage boys from that church went to a fellowship of Christian athletes summer camp in Iowa. And I got a call 2 or 3 o'clock on a Thursday morning said both of those boys had, had drowned in the pool. They were both great athletes, but they didn't know how to swim. So they asked me to have the funeral. The, I was really, the, the Haitian congregation had some great lay elders, but I, they asked me to, as, as the pastor of the sponsoring church, to be their pastor. So I had, I had the double funeral of both boys. and The church was packed. These are young. In fact, Gael, the, the young boy, one of, one of the young boys who drowned on Thursday, had made a public profession of faith of Jesus on Tuesday night at Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp. So you, you, you all these questions go through your mind, and, and uh, I remember before the funeral service, just sort of literally being in my office and just crying my eyes out for these two boys and their families. And, Kansas City Star was there. The news media was there. These two boys drowned so tragically. And, and uh, some of the young Haitian leaders came and knelt around me and prayed. And I just remember all I could, you know, all I could really say was that um, there'll come a day. There'll come a day when this won't hurt anymore. And there'll come a day. And there's not going to be any more drowning, and there's not going to be any more death. There's not going to be any more coffins. There's not going to be any more graveyards. There's not going to be any more separations. But that day is not today. And we get through today with the absolute confidence and assurance that this day is not all there is, that there's another day yet to come. And when we have a fight, when we have a struggle, when we have a battle, when we have an adversity, when we face some great calamity in our life, as followers of Jesus, the Apostle Paul here is talking to young Timothy, and he's basically saying to young Timothy, you know, it's not all there is. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember, Timothy, this fight, these struggles right now, while they are real, while they are painful, while they are hard, they are not the whole story, Timothy. That one day there'll come a day when, when, when in, in our lives when there's not going to be any more death and disease and brokenness. And, and that day is assured. It's not a possibility. It's not a hope for thing. It's an absolute certainty. And we get through these difficult days and these difficult times by having a sense of perspective that says this is not all there is and that victory is assured. And as an older Christian, we can really come alongside younger Christians and say, let me tell you what, I have been through that and there is hope on the other side. 
And that's exactly what Paul is telling young Timothy. He's not telling Timothy, Timothy, you're not up to this. You need to be better. You need to be stronger. You need to work harder. He's not telling him anything. He said, Timothy, remember who you are in Christ. Remember what people have said about you. Remember the prophecies made about you. Get a sense of perspective. This is not all that there is. And I know as a pastor, sometimes you wake up on Monday and you think, is this all there is? I've failed. People have left the church and there's conflict. And I talk to pastors every week like that. And you just have to help them remember that they are obedient and submissive to the Lord and he has called them there and placed them there and they stay there and they fight the good fight. Now, when I say fight the good fight, I don't mean, I don't mean you argue and you're contentious with one another and you, you, you quarrel with one another. Good land, I'm not talking about that. I mean, Paul earlier in chapter 1 says, don't get mixed up in all these weird arguments over genealogies and endless things that have no... No, he's not talking about that. He's literally talking about fighting the good fight of the faith. And that's what he talks about here. And that's the encouragement that Paul gives young Timothy. And I, got, I want you to know, some of you have gone through some really tough things in your life. And you can use those to encourage younger people and younger believers and younger Christians and say, look, man, I want you to know, as Paul did, I, all this has happened to me and I still have joy in Jesus. And you don't think that didn't, Timothy, that wasn't lost on Timothy? As he hears Paul, his father in the faith, just pour into his life? I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with prophecies, he says, previously made about you. So that by recalling them. How do you get through a day when you get a call from a doctor and the diagnosis isn't what you want it to be? How do you get through a time when you hear of a child or a grandchild who's going through something in their life and just breaks your heart? How do you deal with an aging parent? You realize they're slipping into dementia and you're going to have to take over a lot of responsibilities and this is not going to be easy. You remember that Jesus sought you out and saved you, called you for his own. You remember that he will never leave you or forsake you. You remember that while we may see through a glass dimly, we don't understand everything right now. One day we will. And you remember that you can fight the good fight in this. By that, you know that victory is ultimately coming. There's no disease in heaven. There's no, there's no brokenness in heaven. There's no disturbed relationships in heaven. You can know that while things might be really challenging right now, as a child of God, this isn't all there is. John Piper talks about future grace. Man, I don't have enough grace to get through this right now. Well, look to future grace because there's more coming. 
There's more on the way. That's what young Timothy is hearing from Paul. So that you may fight the good fight. Holding to the faith. Now, he's not talking here about, so how do you fight the good fight? How do we do that? Well, you remember who you are in Christ. Remember what he has done for you. You remember the cross. You, 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 as those disciples did that night uh, behind closed doors when Jesus appeared to them and they realized this is actually the physical risen Lord. It's not a spirit. It's not a ghost. He is alive. He was dead and now he's alive. You remember that. You know that. that if, if Jesus, listen, if Jesus can defeat death, he can defeat anything, right? If he can defeat sin, he can defeat anything. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that does not mean Again, prosperity gospel, it means I can do all things required of me through Christ who strengthens me. To take me to where he needs me to be. So Paul clearly unpacks that. And then he says, you fight the good fight. Okay, it's a battle. You're going to have to suit up this side of heaven. You know, we're not there yet. And, and, and there's, still, there's still battles to be fought. The victory is assured, but the battle is real. And he says, you fight it by holding on to the faith. Now, he doesn't mean that you could let go of the faith and you would be lost and you would die and would go to hell. And It's not a sense of, because none, you can look at everything Paul writes in the book of Romans and, and by faith are you saved, and that is not even of you. It's a gift of God. I mean, he's, not, he's talking about you hold on to faith, listen, rather than holding on to your pride or holding on to your your dreams, or, or holding on to your ego, or holding on. What, you're going to have to hold on to something, right? Listen, when life begins to get difficult, and there begins to be problems, and there's challenges, what do you hold on to? Paul says, my goodness, you hold on to the faith that has been given you. That's what he says. That's what you hold on to. Because nothing else is secure. Nothing else will last. Everything else is temporary. So Paul says, by all means, young man, grab hold of the faith that's already been given to you. That's what you hold on to. Don't hold on to your pride. Don't hold on to your ambition. Don't hold on to what other people might think about you. Don't hold on to thinking if you fill in the blank. Hold on to your faith. Having a good conscience. Now, I don't have time to really get as deep as I'd like to here, but he's basically saying you have a good conscience when you're close to Jesus because when you're close to Jesus, you're fully aware of your sin, and when you're fully aware of your sin, repentance is something you're very much involved in, and so the closer you are to Jesus, the, the, the better your conscience, the, 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 more, the more understanding you are of who you are in him, and, and, the, and, and the further you are from him, the, the less aware you are of your sin. So Paul says, this is how you fight the fight. You hold on to the faith that's been given you, and you do that with a good conscience because you remain close to Jesus, and as you remain close to him, you're very much aware of your sin, and you, you are eager to repent and become what he wants you to be. You're eager to repent and become close to him once again. As, as, we, as we don't spend time with Jesus, as, as, as we focus on our problems and on our adversaries and on our challenges, as we hold to something other than faith to get us through, to drugs or to sex or to popularity or to ego or to whatever it is, to pleasure, whatever it is, whatever we grab onto to, to give us a momentary relief from all of this, and that's what we hold on to. 
that's not a result of a good conscience, that drifts us further and further and further away from Jesus. Someone told me of a church that had a sign that said, prevention is better than repentance. I'm like, well, that's the First Baptist Church of legalism right there, I guess. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I know what they mean. Prevention's better than repentance. I, I get that, and, and I want to be obedient. But I don't know about you, but repentance, listen, repentance is not something to be avoided. Repentance is a fountain to run to every day. Every day you find great joy in repentance. I mean, it's like, man, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know my heart is prone to wander. I know I'm willing to grab onto anything and hold on to it rather than my faith sometimes. And I want to repent of that. And the more time I spend in repentance, the closer I am to Jesus, the clearer my heart is and the stronger I can hold on to that faith. That's what Paul is saying. Those two things are connected. You're going to have to hold on to something during this fight. Hold on to the faith that's been given to you with a good conscience. And the closer you are to Jesus, the more aware you are of your sin, and the stronger you're going to be in battle. That's exactly what he means. And this comes from a man who knows a lot about spiritual warfare. He's giving Timothy the best strategy you could ever have. Timothy, you don't focus on your enemies out there. You focus on what Christ has done for you. You, don't, you, don't, you get a sense of perspective on eternity. You were called to this before eternity. The things have been prophesied about you. Remember your calling. And Timothy, hold on to the faith that's been given to you with a good conscience. Stay close to Jesus. Go to the fountain of repentance every day. That's what he says. That's how you battle. This is an old warrior, Paul is. And he's given this young man this, the, the way to get through the fight. And the victory is assured. And then he says the second part of verse 19. Well, some have rejected these. So what happens when you reject this? What, what happens when you decide to fight in your own strength and your own ability? What happens when you decide to grab on to something other than the faith that's been given to you? What happens when you decide to drift away from your relationship with Jesus and you find joy in the sin? You find a little bit of peace and a little bit of momentary relief when you indulge in the sin? What happens when you do that? What's, what's the, is there a problem in doing that? And Paul says, some have rejected these things and they have made a shipwreck of their faith. What happens when I, when I don't hold on to the faith that's been given to me in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the storm? What happens when I don't have a sense of perspective that shows me that God is in control and, and that he has me exactly where he wants me? What happens when I don't go to the, the fountain of repentance every day and, 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 and repent of all the sin and all the lust and all the greed and all the pride and all the ambition so that I stay close to Jesus? What happens? Paul says, many have not done that and they have made a shipwreck of their faith. And Paul knows something about shipwrecks. <laughs> He's been in them. <laughs> and the people in that, that century knew a lot about shipwrecks. It was a very dangerous way in, to travel, and they were common. And I will tell you, if you took a look at my life, I've had many shipwrecks. <laughs> my, my, my ship is all scarred and torn and battered. From many times when I didn't do what Paul is telling Timothy to do, and I, too, made a shipwreck of my faith, and I crashed into this rock, or I crashed into that rock. 
Thanks, thanks be to God, he keeps me afloat. But Paul's words are so correct. You'll make a shipwreck of everything. You'll make it far worse. It's dangerous to do it on your own, Timothy. And then he gives some specific examples about making a shipwreck of your faith. Verse 20. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. So here's two people, two men in the church who have made a shipwreck of their faith. Whom I delivered to Satan so that they might be taught not to blaspheme. Well, that'll have your attention now, probably. I mean, Paul gets specific. He says, Timothy, let me tell you what. If you don't hold on to the faith that's been given to you, if you don't fight the good fight, if you don't, it, then your life will become a shipwreck of the faith, just like these two guys. Remember, Timothy, and what we did with them? Now, now a couple of quick things. When he says he turned them over to Satan, he's not talking about they go to hell and they lose their salvation. He's not talking about that at all. To fully, and we saw about blasphemy. He's talking about, you're not talking about the 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 the, the, the what we call the unpardonable sin. He's talking about the blasphemy there is, is, is basically he's saying that they've said, God has said, this is what I, I request, I demand of you, this is what holiness is. This is and they've said, no, you know, I don't think I want to do that. And we've all said that. But they have never repented of it, and they continue to live that way. They say, no, I still don't want to do that. Yeah, I know that's what God says, but I don't want to do it, and I'm not going to do it. And after working with... Let me just, Quickly, to understand this passage, you have to look really at the passage in 1 Corinthians, real quick, chapter 5. Paul's talking here about church discipline. This is what he said. Chapter 5, verse 4 of 1 Corinthians. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I'm with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, hand that one over to Satan for destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. There's really no problem in the church that can't be solved with loving biblical church discipline. And most of our churches have never really experienced or have much of a pattern of that. So what Paul is saying here, listen carefully as I wrap this, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, Timothy, if you don't do these things, it's not that it's just going to be, you're going to get off track a little bit. It's not, if you don't do these things, you're going to make a shipwreck of your faith. And if you keep making a shipwreck of your faith, this, the ultimate is going to happen just like with, with these two. And we had to turn them over to Satan. Not so that, not, and, and when he says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, why did he turn them over to Satan? So that, so that, so that they would come to the reality of their sin. The purpose of church discipline is to help people come to the total and complete reality of their situation, of their sin. Look, it's a serious thing to continue in the way we've always done it if God's telling us not to do that. And we've got, we got churches today that are filled with people who feel like I have the right to do whatever I want and I understand that, you know, what I should do. But it, and, and, and all of us, look, none of us are perfect. If, if we removed everybody from the church who sinned, nobody would come on Sunday morning. We're all sinful. But willful, repetitive, 
I'm not going to listen to anybody. I'm going to do it no matter what. I am not going to. That Paul says you cannot let that go indefinite. They'll make a shipwreck of their faith. And ultimately, you're going to have to turn them out of the church so that they understand the incredible nature of their sin. And you pray that God will convict them in such a way, their hearts will be turned such a way, that they'll repent and return. Does that make sense? exactly what he's saying. And he's, he brings up this example of these two at the end because he's telling young Timothy, Timothy, you've got to fight this fight and it's worth it because if you don't, you'll make a shipwreck of your faith just like those two did. And look what happened to them. And Timothy, you don't want to turn out that way. So don't do that. Follow a different way. And he gives him this hands-on, wonderful, amazing path. Charles Spurgeon preached an entire sermon one time in Psalm 104, just one or two verses. Psalm 104, verse 25, 26, he talks about, and the sea is vast and wide, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small, and there go the ships. Since Paul brought up the idea that your, your life is like a ship and you'll make a shipwreck of your faith, Spurgeon said he would go down to the docks and he would see the ships that would come in from all over the world. And the first thing you do when you see a ship come in from somewhere, you, you wonder, where is it coming from? <laughs> Second thing you wonder is, what's it carrying? Third thing you wonder is, Where's it going? As you think about your life this morning, where are you coming from? Under whose flag is your ship? Does someone look at your life? Do you look at your life and realize that you are a child of God? You have been born again. You're, 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 your salvation has been purchased by the redemptive act of Jesus on the cross. You are his, written in the name Lamb's book of life, never to be taken away. He's already prepared a place for you. Do you, wear, do you proudly wear that banner? Is that, is, that what, is that who you, is he your captain? And secondly, what are you carrying What's your life full of? What's your most precious cargo that you have? As a believer in Christ, we, our cargo should be peace and joy and the fruits of the Spirit. We should be people who easily forgive one another and run to the fountain of repentance. And then lastly, where are you going? Oh, we know where we're going. <laughs> our final port is assured. We are going to make it all the way to heaven. There may be storms, there may be seas that are rough, there may be dark nights, but we know where we're going. Don't make a shipwreck of your faith. Hold on to the faith that's been given to you. Run to the well of repentance. Get a perspective on the problems of this life. While they are immense right now, it is not all there is. God has far more in store for us than that. And if we will hold on to the faith been given to us and we will stay close to Jesus, we will not make a shipwreck of our faith. We will make it to the port that he has promised and already secured for us. That is what he's telling young Timothy.